This is the Elite Development Podcast, a show with the aim of helping athletes evolve in every element of their careers through real-world advice and experience. I'm your host, Kenny Dussault. I'm a strength and conditioning coach in Calgary, Alberta, with a singular focus on building better athletes. And now, let's get to the episode. Thank you all for tuning in again to another episode of the Elite Development Podcast. My guest today is Leland Mack. Leland has been a scout with the Prince George Cougars since 2019. Prior to that, he was scouting for the Seattle Thunderbirds starting in 2007. He's also been a coach at the Burnaby Winter Club Academy since 2013. He has coached Major Midget with the Greater Vancouver Canadians and Vancouver Northwest Giants, as well as coaching Team BC at the WHL Cup, twice as an assistant coach and once as a head coach in 2015. Leland, thanks for being here, man. I appreciate the time. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome to be on the podcast. So just to start off, I'd like to start with, you know, how, what kind of kid were you growing up? Like, did you always sort of see yourself getting into scouting and coaching or like, were you more on the track of being an athlete? How did that kind of play out for you? Um, I guess I was an old fashioned athlete in the sense that I played lots of sports. Um, for me, the biggest part of my love for hockey began, I grew up in Calgary and the biggest love for hockey came in two different places. One I grew up in the Northwest Calgary in, in, on a street called Bonas Road. And it just has so happened that it was a regular suburb street, but it was twice the size of the rest of the, of the normal suburb street. So it was unreal for street hockey, like unreal. So every, every month of the year, I'd play street hockey out in front of that. And that's where definitely a love of the sport of hockey began. And my grandpa also had a rink in his backyard and, and we, every Sunday with the family we would play. So those two places definitely gave me my love for hockey and sports. But I mean, I was a guy that as soon as, as soon as hockey season ended, boom, it was right into baseball. and was right into football and golf and everything. And I, and I love that. And that's where definitely a love for sport began for me. Well, I love that because, you know, I think the love for sport a lot of the time should outweigh the love for a specific sport as a kid, you know, like there are so many kids now that specialize right from day one, they come out of the gate and they decide I'm a hockey player and that's it. But to develop that sort of overall love for, sport and competition, I think really helps serve people so much further in their careers, whether it ends up being in a coaching or scouting role or as an athlete down the road too. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I see it all the time in hockey where you'll take it, you'll take, you'll take the boys off off site and you'll play another sport and you can pick out the ones that have played hockey 12 months of the year. And you've picked out, you can pick out the ones that do other things, right. And it's really obvious. And generally the ones that played other sports have a better grasp of just their general athletic ability. And you could really see that. And I think it really makes a difference, not just becoming a good hockey player, but in life, it's better to be well-rounded, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, this was something I was talking about actually in a recent interview that I did. And uh, it was just sort of the overall athleticism and how that contributes to your ability to be adaptable and be versatile as an athlete. You know, if you know how to use your feet because you played soccer growing up, then when that pass comes and it's a little bit behind you, you've got a better ability to kind of kick it back up to your stick. And, you know, using all these different elements of overall athleticism in the sport you end up choosing. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, eye-hand coordination with lots of different sports, baseball, just being a general athlete there. And I think, you know what, I think the – sorry, I'm losing my train of thought here. Um, no problem. <laughs> can you edit this out or no? Oh, yo, we're fine. We're fine. Okay. Okay. Um, I think um, when when you're good at a bunch of sports, it just – sorry, I'm totally losing my thought here. Can, 
you can you pause me for a second? So we were just you were just saying you know the overall athleticism of right, being right. an athlete like what, learning these different sports and what you can kind of take that into the sport right. you decide okay, to I'm back, pursue. I'm back. I'm back. Okay, I got my train of thought back. Um, so I think I think it's also sport specific for for when you decide to specialize. Realistically, for hockey, like you're hitting your peak when you're 24, 25, 26, 27. So if you know that, then you don't need to specialize when you're 12 or 10 or eight or whatever. Some sports, maybe gymnastics, you need to start specializing when you're 10, but hockey, you don't, you don't hit your peak as a true hockey professional hockey player until you're in your twenties. So you don't need to specialize in my opinion. And I know there's other countries that do a great job like Sweden and Finland where until they're 14, they're, they're not playing in the summer and spring. They're doing other stuff there and they do fine developing hockey players in those countries. So I think that is definitely a good lesson. And myself, I'm not a huge spring hockey or summer hockey guy just because I think you need a break myself I need a break as a coach and I think players need a break as well and I think it leads to a lot of burnout and and not as much love for sport which is what we started talking about today about yeah exactly and I mean I love that perspective because I've been a longtime believer that being a multi-sport athlete as a kid is you know crucial to success later on I remember reading something and it was a major league baseball stat but something like 29 of 31 players drafted in the first round of the MLB draft were, were multi-sport athletes through college. Like they weren't necessarily playing the other one at as high a level. They they were playing baseball, but they weren't playing baseball 12 months of the year. They were playing baseball, but then they were playing other sports throughout, you know, the rest of the rest of the year as well. And they did that through college and then were drafted to professional teams. And so it just sort of goes to show But uh, I like the perspective, though, on not necessarily just because, hey, you need a break, but also you're not going to peak until your 20s. So why at 12 years old are you saying I need to do this 12 months of the year? Like, Mm -hmm. I I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And and you know what? Like, I think the same stat, there was a similar stat to that in the NFL where a bunch of the NFL players were drafted or even college recruits. And all of them were also on the basketball team and on the baseball team and on the track team and all that stuff. And those things all work together. Like they, they really, really do. And it really makes a big impact. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great, uh, great insight because, you know, it is a weird sort of thing we've got going in Canada now where kids think that the only way they're going to make it is if they are the one who absolutely plays the most hockey and I'm going, you know, yeah, it's good to be experienced, but at the same time, like there's so many other factors that go into it that just simply being on the ice for more hours is just not the answer at all. So it's like, I'm curious to know what it's going to take for these, these kids and these parents to actually understand that going forward. Well, I think you hit it right there when you said it's the parents. Cause I think honestly, a lot of it is coming from them. They're, you know, I guess today's parent is a little different um, than maybe a few years ago, but I think a lot of them are just like, well, he or she wants to do it, so I'm not going to stop him from doing it. He wants to be on the ice. Well, you're also the parent that should decide when he needs a break and 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 push him to do other things besides just hockey, 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 or whatever sport it is. Yeah. So I think that's the key thing. Like, yeah, some kids will want to play. Some kids probably don't want to play 12 months of the year, but their parents want to be Earl Woods and push them and push them and push them to that one sport where I think, I think that's the biggest key area is that parent, parent information, that parent knowledge and that, that of, of having a well-rounded child. And I think that's where the biggest mistake is. I don't, 
I don't know if it's necessarily coming from the kids. Maybe they do love hockey and want to play it 12 months of the year, but it's also, you know, if they wanted to eat a apple pie every day, I think I'm sure the parents, <laughs> you know, say no to that. So I don't see why it's any different. Yeah. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I think a lot of the time, you know, the parents are trying to, you know, and it's coming from a good place. It's not saying that they're doing it to try to hurt the kid, but it's just parents kind of come from that position of, I want to do everything I can to help them because they want to further their career. So more hockey means that I'm going to help them. And so from your perspective, you know, what can parents maybe look for as far as when to give the kid a break, when to even be that force to say, Hey, look, no, we're not going to play summer hockey this year because we're going to get you doing, you know, A, B, C, and D instead. Yeah. I think it's just, I think it comes down to how you, how you look at development and how you look as a parent, how you look at how you're going to spend those development dollars, I guess, so to speak. And how, and if realistically you need to pay max money for on ice training or off ice training, or if some of these things can come not cheaper, but can come in from a better place, I guess what I'm saying is like, you know, I thought COVID would actually be awesome and spring that spring hockey was canceled. And I thought all these parents would look and see, Hey, my kid's stick handling in the backyard by himself or shooting pucks in the backyard by himself or working out on his own with his body weight or some weights or whatever. I thought parents would look at the, be like, Hey, they're getting a lot better. I'm not paying very much. And he's choosing to do it on his own. This is awesome. You know, everybody yeah. seems like, and I think maybe there was some gains in that, in that area, but I think, Ultimately, a lot of businesses, you know, their job is to get as many players in their camps as they possibly can. And I think, and they sell that if you come here, it'll get you here. And parents obviously buy that. And, and I think it's just being as a parent, just being aware of what really matters, development is what really matters and how you can spend your money and what the right ways to go and really researching people and places about how to do it. And ultimately remember that it's your son or daughter that has to decide their career path in the end, right? You can put as much money yeah. in your kid as you want, but if they don't want it or if they don't want to do the little things that matter, it doesn't matter how much money or how fancy the coach is or how fancy the facility is. It has to come from them ultimately. Yeah, well, I mean, I love that point because I think, again, they're, you know, especially the world we live in now, social media, and you can access anything and everything with the click of a button. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you see these kids that are, out on the outdoor rink practicing like the Sidney Crosby behind the net, flipping the puck onto the stick and spinning around and popping it in the top corner when they can barely skate backwards. And you're sort of looking, you know, and just sort of that same idea with the development dollars of if your kid's not eating well and sleeping regularly and, you know, doing those real, real basic things, I don't care what hockey camp you're sending them to like, you're missing some steps here. And so to just hear you say, you know, refocused on getting the kids doing those little things, I think is massively, massively important and massively overlooked a lot of the time, quite honestly. For sure it is. And like, and like, again, if it's, if the kid doesn't love it, he's, it's ultimately probably not going to pan out so great for him. And I, I, I guess I'm just, I don't want to sound jaded, but I've been around hockey long enough where I see the parents push, push, push. And then when the kid turns 18 or 19 or 20, and then he retires and just goes to school and, and, and quits hockey, the parent generally comes up to me and says, you know, it, I was crazy for doing all that stuff. And, and, and I pushed him too hard or I wasted a lot of time or like they, I, I constantly hear that sort of feedback where they wish they kind of would have done some things differently. And that's where it sort of comes from for me out of my heart. That just like, if he wants it, great support it. But, 
also be a, a parent and, and take it away when it needs to be taken away, but don't just let it run loose and go chasing everything you can for some dream when the reality is it's, it, it's really tough to, to play professional hockey. Like it's even it's yeah. really tough to play junior hockey. Yeah. So, so make, so make the whole journey about just enjoying the journey and getting better every day as much as you can. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, that brings an interesting point to mind. I remember uh, a kid for, he's from Okotoks, but he actually trained at uh, the first gym I worked at when I moved to Calgary, the athlete factory, uh, Peyton Krebs, and he was drafted into the NHL uh, in the first round in 2019. And I remember when he was interviewed right after he got drafted, he said his parents had what they called the no drag policy of, they were never going to force him to go to training, to go to practice, to do anything like that. It was always up to him. They were there to drive him. They were there to support. They were there to give him what he needed, but it was up to him to drive the boat, so to speak. And like, I thought that was such an interesting policy, but such a great one because it just, it tells you as the parent that, Hey, it's the kid who wants to do this. It's him that's waking them up for the 6 a.m. practices, getting them going, getting them moving. You know, they're there to help. They're there to support, but they're not pushing him into anything that he doesn't truly want to do. And, you know, getting picked 17th overall in the NHL draft, I'd say it's working out pretty well so far. Yeah, I, I like that too. And, and that player you're talking about, like, he's awesome. He works. He, you can tell he loves the sport and he's intense and competitive about the sport. I think that's a great, that's a great policy that, or not policy, but that's a great idea by that parenting, uh, by those parents to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, and like he was just always that kind of kid. Anytime that I did spend around him, he was always that kind of kid where it was just like everything that was put in front of him, he gave it everything he had. And like you could tell that there was no kind of outside pressure to do that. It was just if he was going to do a drill, he was going to do it as well as he possibly could. And if he was going to, you know, run a race, well, he was going to try to win that race, even if it was against – guys who were bigger and stronger than he was right and that's awesome and going into a competitive sport like hockey you, you need to be that competitive and you need to love it and it is it is really hard so i think i mean that that's a great that's great for peyton to do that and i remember scouting him when when the western canadians were at western canadian bam championship was actually in okotoks in his draft year and his team was hosting it and he was an awesome player back then. He went first overall that year and, and all those things you're saying, that, that's awesome. You could tell he loved the sport. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to get into your job now as a scout. So you were with Seattle for, I guess, 12 years if you started with Prince George in 2019. Yeah. So what does your day-to-day as a scout look like? Like, what are your, how are you bringing kids to your team to say, hey, like, we've got we've to watch this kid? Yeah, well, right now it's not a lot. I mean, <laughs> COVID, but let's but, uh, say let's say pre-COVID. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I'm kind of a little different scout in a way, is that I also coach in the same league that all the players are coming from. So that that's good. It's it's a positive where I, I see my own team and I know all those players well, but then I get to see from a coach's view scouting all those players too, and jumping back and being just a regular scout too. But I think for all the WHL teams, I mean, obviously they want good hockey players, but they also want good people and they want motivated people. And I think the WHL, the way it works is there's a bantam draft or I guess U15 it's called now, but so every May generally there's a draft where you pick those, those guys, kids coming out of U15 or bantam level. And, and that's a big deal, right? That's what you scout the whole year for. You're watching how they progress from September, how they are at the major tournaments in October, how they are at the major tournaments in December, how they are at the major tournament in 
January and then how they are at the provincial tournament at the end of the year. And you just progress and you try and get that sort of makeup of that player and that full catalog in your mind. And then you just decide who you want. And if it comes up and it's a player you want, you go for it. Right. And, and I think that's the biggest way of in the NHL and the WHL of building team is building that core through the draft, I think is, is so vital of hitting those, hitting those, especially probably the first three rounds, you really need to hit those because that's going to be the core of your team in four or five years. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's absolutely correct. It's one thing to be able to make good trades and all of that. But if you're bringing quality players in in those top rounds every year, like you're setting your team up to be a contender year after year, which is going to be obviously what every team is after, right? Yeah. And I mean, when I was with Seattle, we were lucky enough to win the championship in 2017. And but the where that started was in 2012 when we won the draft lottery and we got to draft Matthew Barzell. So, and it started right there. And we also had two other picks that year that we took in the late first round. And those were all core pieces to the team, but that championship started back when we won the draft lot and we got first overall. And then it built up from there with pieces all around him. But again, it started five years before that and it paid off with the WHL championship in 2017. So speaking, because I fully believe scouting is, you know, crucial to any team being successful, you know, just for the reasons we just mentioned, but, you know, with how many kids there are to look at every year, because I don't know exactly what region you're scouting, but no matter where it is, there's going to be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of athletes that you're watching. What are some things that, like, what are the things you're watching for? I know, obviously, you want skill, but is there anything that you're watching for in the games beyond just guys being really good players? For sure. I mean, that's the question every scout's been asked a hundred times. What do you look for? What do you look for? Well, it's, it's different within positions, within goalies, within uh, defensemen and with forwards. But one of the things that, that all scouts really like to watch for is they like, they, they really watch for body language. You know, what happens when he takes a penalty? What happens when the coach makes a line change after the whistle? What happens when his teammate doesn't pass him the puck? And, and you can get a lot of watching how they, interact on the bench with their teammates or with the coach and, and how they react when adversity hits. And it, it, that tells a lot as well as like, I always like sitting in a corner or standing in a corner because you can see those battles take place and you can see the, if they have fire in their eyes and how hard they compete and how hard they do the little things. So I think every team has a sort of model of a style of player and style of team they want. And they kind of go for those players. You know, some teams like big guys, rough guys, some guys like lots of skill, some guys like a sort of combination of that. So you have your sort of team guidelines, but then within each player, I think the biggest thing you try and look for is you just try and learn more about the player off the ice, talk to the coaches, talk to ex-teammates, talk to their strength coaches, see what they're like as people. Because I think any scout can go to a game and say, well, that guy's fast or that guy's skilled, but the real digging is finding out what they're like as people and what they're like as teammates. Yeah. And I mean, I love that you said that because, you know, I'm sure that's a question that you've gotten, you know, a hundred times before of like what to look for and all that. But I love that you're digging in beyond just, well, that guy got a hat trick today, so he looks good. So we'll take a look at him because, you know, I do believe that, you know, everybody's going to hold a bit of a different path. There are going to be players that are late bloomers that, you know, you might take a chance on, even though they didn't have the best year and just sort of all these other factors that go into it because, you know, the body language thing I think is massive. It's, you know, it's, you can really tell a lot from how a player reacts to things that happen on the ice. 
Do you have any examples? And obviously you don't have to name any names or anything, but do you have any examples of, you know, a time where you've maybe been watching a player and then something body language related kind of turned you off and made you decide not to go for him? Oh, for sure. Every year there's a couple of guys that I don't love because of stuff like that. And then generally it's sort of a, you have sort of a gut feeling like, Oh, this might be that guy that, you know, he looks good and he's fast and he's good at hockey, but maybe the coaches don't love coaching him. So I've had players like that where I felt like, you know, I think all the scouts are going to love this guy, but you know what? I think this guy coaches will not like him. And then I follow up with the coaches and a lot of the times they're like, yeah, he's, he's hard to coach. He doesn't do what we ask. He does his own thing out there. And I think, I think just those specific things are are why you got to dig in, right? Because it's a lot more. And you know what? To be fair with the WHL, you are drafting 14-year-olds, so they are young and they haven't matured yet. And some of them might gain that and not be as bad when they're 17, 18, 19, for sure. I want to hope that people will grow and evolve and become better people. But I think if you only can see that little small window and you have a player that is a great kid and great teammate and you have one that's not, you're probably going to take the, the fair. If they're, if they're pretty close, you're going to take the one that's going to be better for your culture for sure. I think. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think obviously kids are going to mature to, you know, slap that label on a kid at 14 and never give them another chance, I think is, you know, obviously not anything that anybody wants to do, but I also think one of the main reasons I wanted to start this show and I did start this show in the first place was teaching athletes a little bit more beyond simply the skill of the game of what's going to help them be successful at higher levels. And so I think, you know, just what you said there is a massive element of that is, yeah, we understand that you can mature later, but like you just said, if we've got two guys that are close, one is a really coachable kid, always bringing positive energy. The other one is, you know, the one who slams a stick on the boards when he doesn't like something that happens or, you know, yells at the ref and gets an extra two minutes every time he gets a penalty, like things like that. Well, it's an obvious choice who you're going to go with. So just Mm -hmm. these little things for kids to understand, Hey, when I do that, there might be a scout here. That scout might be watching for exactly how I'm going to react to this. Maybe calm down. I think is a pretty valuable lesson that they can and should be learning early. For sure. And if you don't have that mental discipline to handle adversity to me as a coach or a scout, that means that in a big game, when something bad happens, you might take a bad penalty or make a bad play, right? That those things transfer to, to that. And then of course, hockey, you take a bad penalty that might cost your team the game right there. So I think those things matter, right? That mental, that mental ability to shake things off it, you know, bad things happen to all of us and it's okay to be mad for a second, but then let's move on. Let's get focused on the next shift. Yeah, absolutely. So for any kid maybe that's listening to this right now that is realizing as we're talking that, oh, maybe I'm not the best at uh, keeping my emotions in check when I'm on the ice. You know, obviously it's easier said than done. It's one thing for us to sit here and say, you've got to be able to shake it off. But if you are that emotional kid who kind of wears their heart on their sleeve, it is tough to swallow those emotions when they come up. Do you have any advice, any thoughts on things kids can do to work on that habit to make sure that, you know, if they're realizing now they have a problem that they could start to change it? Yeah, for sure. And this is what I tell players and parents all the time. You know what? Everyone's got a strength coach. Everyone's got a skating coach. Everyone's got a skills coach, but, but not many of them really work on that mental game. And I believe if you really 
bear down and really, whether it's sports psychologists, there's a lot of good books out there. There's a lot of good podcasts out there. There's a lot, there's a lot of good information out there where if you spent an off season or even an in season really focusing on that mental game, I think you could I think it's an area where you could make the most gains, you know, cause if, if everything's even, everyone's got a strength coach, everyone's got power skating, everyone's got all that stuff, but not everyone really works on their mental game. And if they did, I think that would really, you'd find the most gains work, working on that psychology, that mental game. Like, like I said, there's lots of books out there and, and there's lots of meditation and breathing and all, all that sort of stuff that I think can make the biggest difference for especially young athletes moving forward. So my biggest advice for parents would be, you know, you're putting all the money and all that and all those other things, maybe consider putting some money or some time or, or doing some research into that mental game. Cause I think that could make the biggest difference for your player, for your sons or daughters. Man, I love that you're saying that because I, again, I couldn't agree more. I think it's something that gets extremely overlooked. And just as a bit of a shameless plug, if you look at episode 31 and 33 of this podcast, in episode 31, he's another strength coach, but he talks a lot about meditation and mental performance and how that can affect you from day to day. And episode 33 is a world-renowned mental performance coach, Dave Niefe from uh, New Zealand. And he gives a lot of really good insight into things that kids can do on their own as well to improve that aspect of their sporting career. So anybody listening, go check those ones out as soon as you're done this one too. (laughs) And so during that process, obviously we've talked a little bit about, you know, the scouting and how you can, you know, things that might kind of turn you off if you're looking at a player that's, you know, like body language wise, things that they could do that might turn you away from looking at them. And how about on the other, how about in the other way around? Maybe if you've got a kid who's, you know, not so flashy, not standing out in the skill department, is there things that players can do that maybe aren't those first line guys that will get the attention of you or your scouting staff? Um, well, I think you have to just trust and be who you are as far as a player goes, because I think, and I think you, I, I like to say you have to trust that scouts know what they're saying too, right? Like, if you think if you're a parent or a player and you think, well, I didn't score a hat trick today, the scouts aren't going to notice me. I'd, I'd say on behalf of scouts, that's pretty insulting um, that the scouts are, are pretty limited, limited, limited brained as far as scouting goes. If there's a player out there that is always out there in the big moments of the game defensively, whether it's taking a face off or, or deep pairing playing against the other team's top line or, or shutting them down every time, like I got to think that most scouts will notice those things as well. They, if, if it was just based on stats, then I don't think scouts would bother going to games. You know, I mean, yeah. there's a reason why there's a reason why we go to the games because we're not just watching for the leading score and then ticking them, and then everyone else is no good. I think, I think as a player, you gotta trust that. Hey, I don't need to go end to end every time. And if I play good defense and win all a bunch of faceoffs and block some shots and kill penalties, that that's gonna be noticed too because those are things that winning teams do, and winning teams has a, have players that do those sorts of things. So I would say if if you're not a flashy player, that's okay. There's a lot of not flashy players in the NHL that are making millions of dollars and winning Stanley Cups. Yeah, I mean, I love that you're saying that too because I think it is easy, especially like we said, like you said, you're looking at 14-year-old kids. In that 14-year-old mind, you know, it can be very easy to look and say, well, they're only going to notice, you know, the things that everybody notices. So I've got to try to be that guy. I've got to try to, you know, make the fancy play or do this or do that. And they can almost perform themselves into 
not getting looked at by trying to do too much. And as a result, they're making fundamental mistakes that now you're looking and going, Ooh, maybe that kid isn't quite as good as I thought he was. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, whether it's parents or players always focusing on stats, like it's again, that, that is a factor, but it's only one of many, you know what I mean? It's only one of many, like every team needs a second line center. Every team needs a third line center. Every team needs a shutdown defenseman. And if, and, and ultimately hockey's a team sport. So if you're a selfish individual player, again, that's a culture thing where you're not going to want those guys on your team. You're, yeah. You're really not. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's great hearing that straight from, you know, someone who's in the position of bringing kids in to get an opportunity in the WHL, because, you know, it's one thing for me to say it. It's one thing for their coaches to say it. It's a whole other thing to hear it straight from, one of the people that's going to be giving those kids those opportunities. So I appreciate that insight quite a lot. Yeah. And for sure. And for some players, they don't get drafted in May in their Bantam year. And I'll, and I think it's around 25% of the WHL is players that were, weren't drafted. So that's another great lesson that, you know, you don't get drafted. Okay. Be sad for a day or two and then get to work and your 15 year old year and your 16 year old year, just get better. Not everyone's, their best player when they're 14 in, in May at the bottom draft. You know what I mean? Like you need to have a long-term goal. And, and if you play good, scouts will notice. I always say this, like people will say, well, I don't get enough exposure. Yeah, you do. Anyone playing bantam hockey, it's seen by a scout. And if you're a really good player and you're playing in none of it, you'll get here. People will find out about you. If you're playing in yellow knife, like I always say with Seattle, one year we drafted a player in the fifth round from Williams Lake. Well, I'm sure people would say, well, if I'm playing Williams Lake, I'll never get seen. Well, we drafted him and a bunch of players get drafted. If they're good players, you'll get seen. Don't worry about exposure. If you're good, you're going to, you're going to be seen eventually. Don't worry about that. I love that because I think another thing that, you know, I wanted to address with you today is so often when you're dealing with these kids at this age, I know, you know, in my own experiences and I've talked to countless coaches, whether sport coaches or strength coaches like myself, that run into, you know, a kid doesn't make the team that he wants to make. And instead of, okay, well, I've got to work on, you know, these three things, if I'm going to give myself a chance next year, the first instinct is, well, that coach doesn't know what he's talking about, or, you know, well, I didn't make it, but I should have made it over this guy or, Oh, he picked that kid because of this or because of that. And he should have picked me. You know, if you're talking to one of those 14 year old kids right now, that you kind of notice is trending along that route of, you know, making excuses and all of that, what would be your advice to kind of get them out of that loop and make them realize that, Hey, if you're not getting picked, there's something you can do to improve that. It's not because of where you live. It's not because of, you know, this player or that player, there's something that you need to focus on. Yeah. I mean, you hit it right there. the, if, if, a, if a person is constantly making excuses, well, that tells you a lot too. <laughs> if, if, everything is, if everything that's gone wrong is everyone else's fault, that tells you a lot about the person right there. I think adversity is a reality. Whether as, any hockey player out there, you're going to get cut, you're going to get injured, you're going to get traded, you're going to get not be on the line you want to, you're not going to get the ice time. It's going to happen 100% to all hockey players out there. How you respond is what matters. That's all that matters, you know, maybe send them Jocko Wilning's good, good video. I love that one. Like that, that's, and you know, I've read a book, you know, Obstacle is Away by Ryan Halting, which is basically just that, you know, bad things happen in life. How you respond is what matters. So that's something as a coach, that's what I say all the time, you know, how you respond, 
how you respond is what is what matters. If you make excuses and you say it's it's the coach doesn't like me and this and that and this and that, well, now you're the victim and now you're not going to look for solutions to get better. But if you actually blame yourself and look, then you're always going to be hopefully looking for solutions to rectify whatever went wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, I think Jocko is a great resource for any kid, any kid in that way. The other one I really enjoy is David Goggins. And I know like one of one video of his and he was talking about, you know, himself as a kid and his story. And he was saying, you know, he got really fat as a kid. And he was like, now, now nowadays, what people want to say is, oh, no, you've just gained a little bit of weight. You're just a little bit big. And he stops and he goes, well, you know what? You might just be fat. And then you got to face that and then you can fix it. And it just like, it cracked me up because it was so blunt, but it was so true. It was like, instead of kind of trying to skirt around the problem, you might just say, Hey, I didn't make the team because I wasn't fast and I got beat too often. So if I'm going to make the team next year, it's, you know, you're not going to make the team next year by saying, well, the coach is stupid. You're going to make the team next year by going, okay, if I can, put time and effort and work into fixing my foot speed and fixing my, you know, transitions and change of direction. Well, I'm going to put myself in a better position and then I might make it. For sure. And, and I always say that's the world you should try and live in instead of living in the world of excuses. And I got to do this and that, this is for parents as well, as well as players. I always tell them, you know, it's 98% get better at that sport. That 2% might be getting an agent or going to this place or that place, but the majority of it, man, just get better, live in that world, live in the world of, I need to get better, improve myself. And if you live in that world, it'll, the results will be what, what the process you put into it was. Yeah. And, you know, coming from, you know, my position, because I know that was absolutely me as a kid, like looking back, I can think of countless times where, you know, I didn't make a team or I didn't, you know, get something that I wanted. And my immediate reactions were, right to everybody else's fault instead of my own fault. And, you know, it was an extremely difficult realization to come to as well that, Hey, it's not because of all these other factors, you're just not good enough. So if you want something, work harder at it, get better at it and it'll come, you know, what would your thought be or your advice be for kids that are maybe in that loop to get them out of that loop? And, you know, cause it is easy to sort of say it, but it's a lot harder to actually make those changes and you know, in your own life. I think just push them. Maybe it's an exercise to say, okay, you got cut or you got injured or whatever it was. Tell me what is a pro to this. What would be a positive of this event happening? And they might be like, well, nothing. But then if you keep pushing them on it, they might be, well, now I have a lot more time to, to really work on this, 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 and this. Or maybe if I made that team, I was going to be on the bottom end and not a leader. And now I'm on this other team and I'm, one of the top players on the team and I'm a leader on the team. So I can really grow those skills. Like there's, there'll always be a positive if you look for it. And then you just focus on that would be, would be my biggest advice, right? If you just live in the world, well, Oh, this is, this isn't fair. And, and I got screwed. Well, that's the world you're going to always live in. But if you say, what is the positive I can, or positives I can take out of the situation. I think that would be a quality exercise for, for a, a person in that position to do is make them really have to write down, well, these are two positives out of this situation that I could take and then just attack those. I love that because also not sort of settling when they go, nothing's positive, like pushing them a little further and saying, no, no, yeah. there are positive things here. Like actually did and make them say it. Cause I think one mistake that I've probably made a few times in my own coaching career is 
trying to have that conversation, but trying to just tell the person the positives instead of right. making them come to those realizations that, you know, it, there's more to it than like the positives are there, but if they don't see the positives, doesn't matter how often I say it, they've got to see it themselves too. For sure. Yeah, for sure. And, it, and it, like you said, it would be tough at times, but I think if you could change your mindset and evolve your mindset to, Hey, like no, nothing's going to stop me. And, and anything, anything, even if bad happens, I'm going to focus, find the positive. And that's a great mindset to be in, in hockey or any sport or, or just life. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. So we've hit really well, I think on, you know, what kids can do coming into a WHL draft year of just really focusing on themselves, their own game and continuing to play as well as they could possibly play. And then, trusting in the process that, you know, if you're good enough, you are going to get seen. Now, what about for those kids that make it through their draft year without getting picked? You know, if you're in that position where you're 15, 16, 17 years old, and you think you really believe, Hey, I have what it takes to play at that level, but you're not getting the looks, you're not getting, you know, those conversations with the scouts. What do you think kids in that position can do to maybe push themselves towards those opportunities and get scouts to maybe come looking a little bit more. Okay. Well, I think this is a great opportunity to do that exercise. We didn't just went through. So I, di I didn't get drafted on Bantam draft day. I'm mad. All my friends did, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm so mad. I'm crying in my room. I'm not going to go to school tomorrow. Okay. Let's, let's do that exercise now. What's a, what's a pro of not getting drafted? Well, here's a, here's a pro of not getting drafted. I'm not tied to one team now. And if I get better at hockey now, and now the WHL has just given me a gift of motivation of, uh, we don't think you're good enough. So they've just given you a gift of straight motivation for your future. We don't think you're good enough. Prove us wrong. Okay. That's perfect. The other gift is, Hey, when, uh, when they start sending out camp invites, I don't have to just go to that one place that drafted me. If a bunch of places offered me a camp spot, I'm now a free agent to go what I want. So if I get, so if I, they, they've said they didn't like me, so I'm going to prove them wrong. And now I'm a free agent. So once they start realizing the gains and development I've had in my game, guess what? I might be able to choose now where I get to play. So there, there, we just did our own exercise there. And I think, I think it's the same thing, right? If you didn't get drafted, that doesn't mean that other teams didn't talk about you. It doesn't mean that other teams didn't like you. It just means that they only had so many picks and they only have 50 players on every team's list. And you know what? Once that 15-year-old season starts – as scouts, we're told, like, when that fifth, when that season starts, September, October, like, I don't need you to get out and watch as much Bantam. I need to get out and watch those 15-year-olds play because a lot happens growth-wise between May and that next season when they're 15-year-olds. And there's always a flood of players where it's called listing them, where you can just – if you see a player and he's not with another team, you can just list them right away, add them to your list. It's kind of like getting drafted, just not on the draft day. And that's where we're, we're told to focus on those early part of the seasons. Who had a good summer? Who came a long way? Who did I like, but we maybe didn't draft him? Oh, look at the changes he's made. Boom, I'm taking him. And then, now well, there you go. So if I'm a kid, I'm using that exercise we just went through, finding all the positives and showing those guys once uh, September, October roll around for that next season. And then I get listed and there you go. Yeah, because I can definitely think of a few kids that I work with myself that, you know, that draft year went through and, you know, they didn't get picked and I can see the motivation fade a little bit, but then I've seen it go the other way as well, where, you know, that year goes through, they don't get picked. And then you could see the fire in their eyes when the off season starts. It's, you know what, I didn't get picked this year. Like it's not over, let's go. And like, just whenever I see that fire, like that's when I know, okay, we've got a kid who's ready to go somewhere. For sure. And, 
and there's lots of players that get drafted high and they're no longer a prospect when they're 16, 17 years old because they haven't gotten any better or, or the scouts just got it wrong. So it goes both ways on that one too, right? So yeah, sure. It's cool getting drafted when you're 14, but no one's hockey career is made in one day in May when they're 14 years old. Like, like I never want to see a, parent, a player or parent say, you know what, the best day of my hockey career was when I was 14 years old and got drafted. That shouldn't be the highlight of anyone's career. It should be everything that happens after that. I love that you said that too, because I think it is very easy to get caught up in those big moments. And, you know, I've said it already, but especially in the world today where, you know, you're watching that WHL draft unfold and you're seeing all the picks come through on your Instagram feed or whatever else it might be. You know, there's that motivation of seeing your name come through on that team's feed and, you know, those thousands of likes that go along with it. But that's a very short term thing compared to what your career can be. Right. Like it's easy to get caught up in the excitement of that, but if that's where your career is going to peak is seeing your name come through on, you know, the Prince George Cougars Instagram account to say that you've been drafted. Like it's, there's a lot more to it after that as well. Yeah. 100%, you know, like it's, whether you got drafted or didn't get drafted, it shouldn't change. Now you're, now you're still trying to, you still, just cause you got drafted doesn't mean you're on the team doesn't mean doesn't mean you made it it just means that if you did get drafted that means well that's where you're going for training camp in a couple months that's yeah. what it means it doesn't mean you're promised guaranteed anything and that should be your mindset too is hey you know what i got drafted by prince george cougars okay well i know where i'm going to be going in the end of august for training camp i'm going to prince george i think that's a really great perspective as well it's like you're not looking at it as okay i am a prince george cougar you're looking at it saying this is where i'm going to go for training camp and let's see where it takes us. Exactly. Opportunity. How, what are you going to do with it? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that's a huge part too, right? Is focusing on the actual process of what you're doing today, what you're doing tomorrow, not necessarily, okay, I'm going to have a five-year career in Prince George, but okay, you've got your vision of what you want your WHL years to look like and where you want it to lead you. But what do you need to do today to make that five years possible? What do you need to do tomorrow to make that five years possible and focus in on that instead of focusing in on the stuff that far in the future? For sure. And I think that's where slip with some players happens is, is not focusing on every day. You know what I mean? And it's not every day that you have to be training or working out, but every day you need to do something, even if it's rest, even if it's sleep, even if it's meditating, even if it's, going for a walk even if it's going golfing like every day you need to do something to help yourself whether it's hockey player as a person I think you hit it on the head there right like like some players get drafted and think okay well I've made it like oh I don't need to skate today I don't need to train today and then all of a sudden they're whoa why is this guy way better than me now well yeah because you didn't focus every day and that's something as a coach like at uh, Burnley Winter Club Academy we really try and push is like let's get better every day like even if it's one percent like let's get better every day and the people and players that I've been lucky enough to coach that are like that are generally the ones that have made it through to pro hockey, you know? And, yeah. and, and that's, and that's why they weren't thinking they've already made it and they didn't have to put in the work. They knew they had to put in a little bit of work every day and that goes a long, long way. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, you know, I think my favorite thing that we've talked about so far is just that idea again of getting a little bit better every day because you know, like you said, there's going to be kids that come in in the first round, super high draft picks and think, okay, I'm the man, you know, I got picked fifth overall, like go me. And then there's going to be that seventh round pick or that undrafted kid that got an invite to camp that realizes, Hey, 
this might be do or die for me. Like I need to go in and perform. And if they're the one putting the time and the effort in every single day, when you're, you know, kind of being lazy, taking days off when you're not feeling it, well, that seventh round kid might come into camp and walk right through you. And now all of a sudden he's on the team, you're not, and you're sitting there going, you know, but I was, but I was picked fifth overall. Like where, why am I not, why am I not going any further? Yeah. And it's junior hockey is, is, is a performance-based world where, it doesn't matter if the coach or GM said that you're going to play second line or, or whatever. If you, if, if you're no good, you're not playing second line. Yeah. And it goes the other way too. If the coach said, Hey, you're going to come in, you're going to be on the fourth line. Well, if you play awesome, he's not, he or she's not going to say, okay, well I told you your fourth line. So you're going to stay. No, if you're playing <laughs> awesome. Guess what? You're moving up. You're moving up the ranks there. And, that, and that's, Again, that's the world we should want to live in as a as a player and as a parent with a with a young athlete is you know what like earn it whatever you've got earn it and you got to hope yeah. that you earn it those coaches are going to recognize that and, and appreciate you for that and I think that's just just try and live in that world and live in that world only. Yeah, absolutely. So for those kids, you know whether they're in the year that they're going to be coming into the Bantam draft or whether they've gone through and they haven't been picked or even those who have gone through and have been picked. You know, I love what you said about getting that 1% better every day, because I think that is absolutely crucial. But one thing that I know I like to try to enforce with athletes as well is that the rest and all of those other elements, other than simply the training and the good nutrition and sleep, those are all part of that grind. Those are all part of that improving every day. So if you were talking to a kid right now and trying to help them understand that process a little better, what would go into helping a kid plan their week out to make sure that, you know what, every single day I'm doing at least one thing to improve. I'm doing one thing to, you know, push me that step closer towards goals. Well, I think it would just be having a real solid plan. You know, I would think you, you'd want to first know what your strengths and weaknesses are um, as a, as a, technically as a hockey player and, and, you know, maybe physically and as your body goes and try and attack those, all those things you're weak at. Like I, that's a kind of how I coach is, is you might be a fast skater, but you might not be the best defensive player. So I'm going to focus on your defensive game to make you the most complete player. Cause in my mind, yeah, there's some sort of specialty players out there in hockey that make it and are, are good players, but the players you win with are those all around guys. So as a hockey player in training, like I'm going to plan and I'm going to try and go head to head with whatever my, some of my weaknesses are, whether it's quickness, my shot, my strength, um, and, and really try and make that a, a key vo- a key point. And then with the other stuff, knowing that it's not about just like throwing ropes every day and, and 24 hours a day and no plan B and all that stuff. It's about, it's about being an athlete, which means rest is huge, which means diet is huge, which means the mind is huge. It's about just connecting all those dots together in one and really just developing as a, as a player and a person. And I think, you know, we, we keep hitting it on the head, you know, that's, that's what it's about. It's not about, it's not about what agent you have. It's not about what camp you go to or how much money you spend on this guy or that guy or Academy you go to or not Academy you go to. It's not about that. It's about you. It's about you and how much you're focused on getting better. Yeah. I think you absolutely nailed it. And you know, I think the important thing that might be, you know, might be overlooked quite often is really just having that plan, right? It's one thing to go to the gym a couple of times a week and do your sprints and do, you know, that, that stuff. It's a whole other thing to 
really sit down, break down and understand, you know, from my, from my side, coming back to the strength and conditioning stuff, I always want to make sure that athletes aren't just here to train. They want to know what they're doing, why they're doing it and what's going to happen on the ice because of what we're doing in the gym. And I think it's the same with any other element of your game, right? If you're putting together a plan as a kid to help yourself play better next season, that plan can't just be go into my backyard and shoot a hundred pucks a day. Like, what are you trying to get out of those hundred pucks a day? Like that could be a great plan, but if you're actually focused on something that's going to make a big difference, not simply moving your stick back and forth a hundred times. And, you know, yeah, the same thing think, with the gym and the same thing with yeah. like every other element of being a human, really, if you plan it out and you're deliberate, you're going to be way more successful. For sure. And I think you, what you said with shooting the pucks in the backyard, what I always say is if you're just shooting pucks in the backyard, it's not really going to have as big benefits as if in your mind, you're imagining game situations and then shooting pucks in the backyard. That's where the growth happens to me. And, you know, like, it's funny, like in boxing, they call it shadow boxing, where you're visualizing as if you're boxing someone. Well, in hockey, it, it seems like we've got two sort of structured where there's like a bunch of things on the ice and the coach tells you exactly where to go. Well, I think the most gains could be made by just imagining, even whether it's without a stick or with a stick, imagining game situations and imagining how you'd react. You could make so many gains on there rather than just, okay, skate through that pylon and then that pylon and then that pylon where you're maybe you don't really know why you're skating through those things. But if you imagine and, and focus on that, those game situations, I think that'll make you so much better. So that's one of my biggest tips that I always tell, especially young players, like when you're stick handling in your backyard or you're shooting pucks, like imagine game situations, even when you're not like before games with the team, I coach, we usually do about a minute visualizations without a stick in their hands. And they just sit there and visualize different game situations because what, you know what, your mind doesn't know it's not real. Yeah. Your mind doesn't know it's not real. So you're getting those reps in. And we had a player that I coached a long time ago. His name is Jordan Wheel. He played for uh, Montreal Canadiens for a bit. I think he's still with them. And before games, he would be up in the stands with his hands in his head and his hands moving, visualizing different game situations. And all the players at the start of the year kind of looked at him like, what are you doing, buddy? And then he, <laughs> and then he was like, unbelievable player that year in midget. So by the end of the year, there was five guys up beside him <laughs> visualizing what I thought was great. Which I thought, which I thought was awesome, you know, and and the, and like we said about before, is being well rounded, right? Like if all you do is just lift weights, lift weights, lift weights. Well, hockey's a dynamic sport where yes, you need strength and you need to be strong, but you also need to be able to run, run and skate, skate. So I always say, like, if you want to get faster, go to a track. Because I've what I've always seen is the players that are fast runners on the track are usually those same guys that are fast skaters on the ice. And you know what? Like mix in other sports, not not to play other sports to get better at hockey, just to become more well-rounded. If your hands are good, like all those things are going to make you well-rounded. So I would say for your training, make your training well-rounded. Don't make it just lifting weights and that's it. Make it lifting weights, cardio, getting out on my bike and riding, getting out on the track and running, uh, maybe boxing, maybe golfing, like all those things will make you more well-rounded, which will help you become a better player in person. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, from the training side, the one thing that I'd even add on is make sure that whatever sessions, whatever training you are doing, that there's a purpose to it. Like for myself as a strength and conditioning coach, you know, I've always been a big believer that if an athlete asks points to anything in a program and says, why are we doing this? And I can't answer. 
I'm not doing my job well, whether or not that exercise is being done well. But if I can't tell you why you're doing it, then why are you doing it? And, Mm -hmm. you know, I see, I see it so much that, you know, certain strength coaches and, you know, not naming any names in particular, but I see it so often in our field where, you know, they just sort of write a workout up on the board for the day and every player in the group is just doing that. And I'm going, you know, you've got 12 different guys that play 12 different positions in 12 different leagues with 12 different body types mm-hmm. doing the exact same thing. And you really think that you're training effectively? Like you're not taking any kind of look at what does this guy need versus what this guy needs. It's just, hey, everybody, uh, go do four sets of that, five sets of that, and then a little bit of running over there. And like, really, that's your session for the day? Like there's no kind of look or thought as to how I'm going to help this guy or that guy compared to just the group as a whole and kind of get them off and get them out of here. Yeah, exactly. And as we said before, when you're a parent or a player researching your development dollars, that matters. Like if you're just a a sheep going through the farm, you know what I mean? Like it's not as effective as, Hey, this guy, he knows that I need to work on this, 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 he knows I'm a goalie. So he's going to tailor it a little bit more specifically for that. Like that stuff matters. That stuff really does matter where I guess like, and, and, and think about when you're picking your training, like think about the sport of hockey. What is it? Okay. It's 30 to 60 seconds of in and out sort of rapid movements and slow movements and rap and then rest for two minutes or three minutes. Like that's the energy system that hockey takes. So, like, like as far as goes, you might, this might be me asking you a question, right? Is do some trainers do, you know, Hey, go run for a marathon here to get better at hockey. I don't know if that's the same energy system as, as, as a hockey player needs. You know what I mean? So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, definitely, you know, steady state cardio work, as I call it is important because it's good to develop your aerobic system because it helps you recover. But, you know, I have one example that I can think of that I had a strength coach. I had an athlete come and tell me that the previous strength coach they they worked with told them, run 15 kilometers a week. There was no structure of like in how many, like how long in each run, how many runs, what kind of speed. It was just run 15 kilometers a week. And I'm going like you just pulled a number out of your ass and said, go do this. Like there is no rhyme or reason. There was no like, Oh, we're going to do three 45 minute sessions because you need to work on your aerobic conditioning. It was just run 15 kilometers a week. I'm going like, there was, there was no thought in that. (laughs) So, you know, that more long distance cardio stuff is definitely important. It's definitely effective, but it needs to be planned into the week. You can't just sort of say, okay, go, do this. Like it's got to be some thought as to how we're going to progress it, how it's going to lead through the summer and what it's actually there to help you with when you come into your next season too. Yeah, exactly. And that's good to hear, you know, cause like you said, from my experience with, with certain string coaches is, is they all think their way is the only way and all the other coaches don't know what they're talking about. So that might, it might be tough for some players and maybe that's why some players are constantly switching strength coaches and don't have that sort of stability is, is one guy says that they should only be doing sprints and one guy says that they only should be doing weights. And I think it's might be tough out there with, with different things, but I think my advice for that would be, we just think about the sport of hockey, think about what a game feels like and what sort of important areas of your energy systems and strength systems you need. And luckily hockey is very dynamic. Sometimes you're in a strength situation. Sometimes you're in a sprint situation, which is great. So guess what? You got to do both those things. 
Yeah. And I mean, my best advice for that is if you're talking, if you're an athlete right now and you're talking to a strength coach who says it has to be done exactly this way all the time and nobody else knows what they're talking about, turn around, walk out the door and run far, far away. (laughs) Every athlete's different. Every athlete needs different things. And if your coach isn't evolving and looking at you and they're not trying to get better along with you, you're with the wrong coach. 100%. period. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, I know that I've dealt with the sin, a lot of similar stuff in my career. And there's definitely things that I come across that, you know, on the surface, I'm kind of looking at going, I have no idea why you're doing that. But (laughs) if you can, if I can sit down with you and you can explain while we're working on this, because it's going to do A, B, C, and D. Awesome. But if you're just sort of saying, Oh, it's because it's a hard workout. You don't know what you're doing. (laughs) Yeah. But I think, I think there it's, it's asked the questions. Absolutely. I I always ask strength coaches, like they, a lot of them loved putting out that like foot ladder thing that like feed. And I asked them like, well, I've never seen a player in a game go take little itty bitty steps all over the ice. So maybe I'm wrong, but explain to me how doing little quick steps on a foot ladder, how that transitions to skating on the ice. Right. And, and then just think about the answer if you, if it makes sense or not. Exactly. And I mean, I think for any kids, like, because that's something that, you know, even in my own career, I don't see happen nearly as much as I'd like to is kids actually asking questions about, you know, what are we, why are we doing this? Or why are we doing that? Or how's that going to help me on the ice? Because the second you ask me that question, to me, all that says is, hey, I want to get better. And I want to know how this is going to do it. And And so if you want to know that you, you've thought about this before you made this plan. Also that also that. You're, you should be able to say, hey, guys, we're doing this drill, and this is for this, this, this situation in a game and getting better at this, this, this. Oh, okay, yeah, got it. Rather than just do this, do that, do this, do that. Like, I think both sides of it. You need to think about it as a strength coach or whatever coach that you, you're thinking about game situations, you're thinking about areas that, of improvement, and, you, and everything is tailored for that. And as a kid, I think you should be doing the same. Thinking, why are we doing this? Like, I don't – and ask this question. And if the coach knows the answer and, and it's – and it makes sense, then, then you're in the right spot. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, I, I know for, you know, the example you brought up, the agility ladders, I see those all the time too, a little bit less now than I used to. But, you know, the other issue is just like you said before with the hockey drills of, you know, skate through that pylon, then skate through that pylon, then take a shot. It's like, well, you're not really putting yourself into anything game related. And, you know, the same with those agility ladders. It's great to be able to move your feet fast, but after a certain point, all you're doing is memorizing a pattern. You know, my feet go here, then my feet go there, then my feet go here, then my feet go there. And that's just not how hockey or any other sport works. It's not just a series of patterns through a game. Like it's unpredictable. You've got to be able to adapt and move with the game, not move in an exact specified pattern. Exactly. And, and I think, and maybe you can elaborate on this, but a lot of hockey as well as played on one foot. Yeah. So as a, as a trainer, like how much do you, or how important do you find, doing one-legged type exercises is? I find it extremely important, but again, it's going to be very dependent on the athlete because I have a lot of kids that come in that, you know, right off the start, they could barely balance on one foot. So if I said, just stand on one foot and hold it, they'd have trouble doing that. So if they have trouble doing that, well, I'm not going to load up single leg squats or, you know, like massive explosive jumps on one leg until I know that they're actually competent being able to balance in those positions. Right. right. But absolutely. In my opinion, if you're not 
comfortable being on one leg and you can't move explosively off of one leg, you're going to struggle when you hit the ice. There's no doubt about it. For sure. Looks like I'm doing the interview now. <laughs> <laughs> I love when there's a little back and forth like that too, though. Cause I think like, you know, more than anything with these interviews, what I want to do is get these kinds of things across to kids, you know, be able to make sure that any athlete going through an athletic career can look back at 40, 50 years old and say, I did everything I could. Mm -hmm. And I know that I did everything I could and little things like asking those questions and talking about that stuff, whether it's from the practice perspective while you're on the ice or the strength and conditioning perspective, like that's part of it. It's not just going and doing the workouts. It's knowing that you're training with the right guy. Who's got your best interest in mind. Who's going to put the right training in front of you for you to make the most of it. For sure. And ultimately you don't want to end up somewhere where you realize you left, you left something to chance. You don't like, you don't want to go and not make it and be told it's because of this. And you think I knew that, like, I, 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 you know, I thought that I was just talented enough. So I didn't work on everything else I knew I needed to work on. Just do as much. So there's, you've left nothing to chance. Don't leave anything to chance. I, yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it. And, you know, we're, we'll wrap up here very, very soon. But I think we've touched on a lot of really important things for kids to begin that process and, you know, look at how they're developing through their careers. But for a kid who's maybe listening to this and has been in the position where they've kind of felt, well, you know, I'm just talented enough. Like I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting by on what I can do already. What would be your best advice at a place to start along that extra development? Like what are the habits that you think they really need to have in check, whether they're moving into juniors, moving into the pros, whatever it might be. Well, I think talent is great and talent will get you far, but once you jump into that junior level, especially if you're a younger player, a 16 or 17 year old, the coach needs to know that he can trust you defensively. So maybe in minor hockey, you did whatever you want and didn't try defensively, but going to that level and then definitely going to pro. If, if you're not a solid defensive player, man, like the coach, you might be a cut because, because goals and assist goals are, are wins. So, and goals against our losses. And the, co the way the coach thinks is I need, I need wins because I need to keep my job and I love winning and the ownership wants me to win. So if you're not doing the little things that matter defensively, whether it's getting the puck out, playing good defensive zone coverage, you're, it's going to be tough unless you're as talented as Connor McDavid. You know what I mean? So I think my best advice for those young players and the ones that have a lot of talent is round out your game and really focus on, the defensive side of hockey, which is, you know, there's a lot of skills coaches out there, but I don't think many of them are like, here, come and I'm going to teach you how to play good defensive hockey. Unfortunately right now. Yeah. And I feel like, because maybe it's not flashy or sexy or, or that sort of thing, but then that's what, if you watch a game, that's what wins games. Defense still wins championships. I think these days. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and the other area, sorry, I, that we haven't touched on yet, it would be video. I mm, think true whether it's it is it is the reality of today is people live in a world of little clips and little bits and bites of maybe something that's not real but if you're a player a hockey player and you want to get better video can be a huge tool for you and not just watching the toe drag shot highlights on tsn it's take a player a similar position to you maybe a player that you want to play like or you think you play like and watch him and watch 
every shift in all zones, where he goes, why he goes there. Don't just look for the, don't just stare at the puck the whole game. Watch what that player does. And if you do that, and again, imagine yourself in that position, you can make a lot of gains with video. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think, you know, especially now we do have access so quickly to all those, you know, toe drags, snipe highlights, but you also have access to how many NHL games that are going on every month, Mm -hmm. every day. And so if you're able to, pick out a player that's a similar player to yourself and not just watch the game as entertainment, but decide, okay, I'm going to follow this guy tonight and I'm going to see what he does. And then I'm going to try to figure out in every situation why he did it. And you know, what's like, what he's working on, how he's getting better at these things, you know, that's going to be massively important because when those situations start to present themselves in front of you, you're going to be able to take it and run with it. You're not going to, you're not going to have that same struggle maybe. Yeah, for sure. And like, like I said, way back, like imagine yourself as that guy doing those things. And then next time you go out to practice or practice in your backyard, do the things that he did and imagine yourself doing them. And then, like you said, if you, if you watch that player and you think, okay, I like the way he played that situation. When that situation comes in the game, you've already played it through in your head a bunch of times and you're going to, and you're going to take, and you're going to do it and it's going to be successful. And guess what? You just, you just got those reps in and you just got better by doing nothing else other than, imagining a situation, learning from it, and then adding it to sort of your brain catalog of different plays, which I think is so super valuable. Yeah, I absolutely. And I mean, something that just came to my head too, is we were talking earlier about, you know, creating the plan for your week as an athlete, like, you know, making sure that every day you're doing something to get better. So as you said, not just going out into the backyard and shooting pucks, but imagining those game situations. And it kind of just came to me as we were talking that, if you're struggling with what game situations to work on when you're going out into the backyard and shooting pucks, picking out those NHL guys that you want to watch and trying to look at situations that they find themselves in, that's the way to do it. You, you know, you watch the game and you go, okay, you know, uh, here are three things I saw happen to this guy last night. So those are the three situations I'm going to work on when I'm shooting pucks today. Yeah. And and that reminds me yeah, for sure. And that reminds me of one of the best advice a coach gave me that I was working with him. And I said, I really like your drills. Where do you get all your drills from? And he, and I, I don't know what I was expecting. I might've been expecting, well, I got this book or whatever. And he said, this website, that website. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, but his response was, was something I'll never forget. He just said, I just watch NHL games and watch situations and then make up drills based on those. <laughs> like that's such it's so obvious, but, but it maybe isn't to a lot of, especially young, younger coaches out there as they just, well, this is a good drill because he goes there, there, there. And you're like, well, when does this happen in a game? And, and if, if every drill as a coach, you're thinking about what you saw in a game or if every skill you're trying to teach a player is, well, this is the, one of the top players in the NHL and he does this in this situation. Let's focus on that. It's probably going to lead to success. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love that because, you know, as soon as you said it, that was what ran through my head too. Right away, I was thinking of, you know, what hockey training websites do I know? And then, and then when you said, and his answer, I sort of went, oh, no, I know what's coming here. <laughs> and, you know, it is so true. It's easy to look at, you know, thinking about the best drills or this or that. It's like the best drills are going to be what prepares you for the game, plain and simple. Exactly. exactly. And, that, and that goes to wrap up everything else we talked about, which is the best drills and the best training off the ice and the best mental training is what prepares you, what makes sense for the game, how, how, what happen in the game. Man, I absolutely love that. I love how it came first full circle too, right from the beginning of the interview. Uh, and 
you know, just before we wrap up and like, I know we've touched on quite a lot, I think, especially with those development years of, you know, the younger kid leading into the Bantam draft, leading into those years after, but is there anything else, anything that you feel like we maybe haven't touched on that you think a kid could maybe take away from yourself, your experiences, coaching and scouting? Just enjoy the process. If, if we constantly live life saying, I'll be happy once I get drafted and then it'll be, you know, take a hockey player, for example. If our life is always, I'm going to be happy once I get drafted. Okay, I got drafted. I'll be happy when I play in the WHL. Okay, I'm, I'll be happy once I get drafted in the NHL. Okay, I'll be happy once I make the NHL. Okay, I'll be happy once I win the Stanley Cup. Okay, I'll be happy once I make the Hall of Fame. If, you're, if you live that way, like it's good to have goals and all that, but if you live that way, you're not going to enjoy as much the whole process. So I, I would say make goal number one to enjoy, to enjoy every day and enjoy the process. Hey, I'm a peewee player right now. I'm going to love being a peewee player. Hey, I'm a Bantam player or U15. I'm going to love today these teammates I have. Or I'm in high school. I'm going to love. I'm not just always going to be thinking about onto the next thing, onto the next thing, onto the next thing. Because if you do that, you end up not enjoying the moment you're in because you're too busy reaching for the next thing, next thing, next thing. Like it's okay to have goals and small goals and big goals. That's great. But if you're not enjoying the process, it, it ultimately leaves you kind of feeling empty if you do ever reach that goal. Because then you're just like, okay, well, now what? you're even when you're at those ultimate goals all you're thinking about sure. is the next one that's coming out for sure yeah man i think that's you know such an important point as well because i think too if you're spending all your time focused on the next goal you're spending all your time you know now i need to make the whl now i need to get drafted to the nhl now i need to make the nhl then you're not actually focusing on what's going to get you there, which is mm -hmm. the day-to-day, -day, the work, the play, the game, the practice. You're focused on how you're going to make it here. You're not focused on what you're doing today. And what you're doing today is actually what's going to get you drafted to the next level, what's going to help you make the NHL. For sure. And the, the comparison I always use that helps me is, is, is if you wanted to climb Mount Everest, you wouldn't just say, I want to get to, I'm going to get to Everest. I'm going to get to the top of Everest. I'm going to get to the top of Everest. Just saying that isn't going to help you get to the top of Everest. But if you say, okay, day one, we're going to make it five kilometers up and we're going to have a base camp there. And day two, we're going to do it. And day three and day four and day one, however many days it takes. That's to me, that's process thinking. And guess what? If you do all those things, you'll get to the top of, well, maybe Everest isn't a great example. But <laughs> if you have a plan, if you have a plan, that's how you get to the top, how you get there is all those little steps along the way is what matters. Man. I mean, I think that's such a, such a perfect way to put it. And I mean, I look at that with any kind of routine in life, whether it's, you know, getting in shape or whatever it is, if you're 50 pounds overweight and you look at it and you go, okay, I'm going to be shredded with a six pack. That's overwhelming. That's a long ways away. But if you say, okay, I'm going to get to the gym three times this week. And then you make three times a week at the gym consistent. And then you kind of take, okay, now that I've got that, I'm going to take the next step. And then all of a sudden, you know, that shredded with a six pack happens, but it's not because that's what you were thinking about right from day one. And it's the same thing with a big audacious goal, like playing in the NHL. You know, mm -hmm. if you're 13 and you're saying, I'm going to be the next Connor McDavid, that's overwhelming. If you're 13 and you're saying, Hey, yeah. I'm going to just play really good hockey right now. Well, you might just become the next Connor McDavid because you're having fun every day doing it. For sure. A hundred percent. That's it's, it's just a process based thinking rather than a result based thinking. I love it. The process based guys will, will get there. They'll chip away and they'll get there. If you're just result based then you either it's going to be too overwhelming and you won't do the little things that matter or, or you're just never going to be satisfied ever in life.
Man, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think that's such an awesome place to end this off. And especially like we've just come so well full circle from the start of the interview. So Leland, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on the show. I'm you know, really grateful you were able to come on and share you know, your insights and your story. And if anybody's looking to get in touch with you, whether it's about something they heard today or just you know, any other questions they might have for you, if you're open to it, what would be the best way for them to do that? Sure. Well, thanks again for Kenny, Kenny, for having me. This was awesome. Um, I'm on Twitter at, it's just at Leland Mac underscore as well. Instagram at uh, Leland Mac, one word, L-E-L-A-N-D-M-A-C-K. Um, and that, those would be the two best places to probably get a hold of me. Or if you go onto the Burnaby Winter Club Academy, there's a contact uh, drop down thing there. So that as well. Fantastic. So I'll make sure to list those in the show notes too, so that anybody can get in touch with you. So thank you again so much. I really appreciate it. For anybody else out listening, this has been the Elite Development Podcast with Kenny Dussault and Leland Mack. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the Elite Development Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, I would greatly appreciate if you subscribed and left a review for the show. As well, I would love to hear what your biggest takeaways were from the episode. My contact info is linked below. Send me a message and let me know what you thought. As always, I'm your host, Kenny Dussault. Thank you again and see you next time.